revolutionize your recruitment strategy with AIMHR Solutions. Headquartered in the heart of Massachusetts, our dynamic team offers cutting-edge recruiting services tailored to meet the needs of HR professionals anywhere. Say goodbye to the endless cycle of candidate searches. Let our seasoned experts streamline the process for you. With a deep understanding of industry trends and a vast network, we're here to connect you with top-tier talent. Explore the possibilities of our recruitment services at aimhrsolutions.com. Welcome to Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR from AIM HR Solutions on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and this week we unravel the complex web of wage theft and its implications for HR professionals. Sam Larson and Tom Jones are back with me this week, and together we explore a variety of legal cases related to wage theft, shedding light on the importance of understanding the underlying issues and the legislation that aims to protect employees and ensure accurate payment of wages. Welcome, gents, Sam and Tom. It's so good to be talking with you again this week. I I, I wonder if we can start uh, with an introduction to wage theft. For those who don't understand the underlying issues, what is wage theft and why are we talking about it today? Sam, you're 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 not here as often as Tom. Let's let you kick us off. Sure. In the, in the simplest terms, wage theft is when you do not when an employer does not tender proper uh, compensation to their employees. That can be in the form of you know traditional you know I make fifteen dollars an hour and you paid me fourteen dollars an hour, or is complicated to you know down to not owing people certain vacation days not owing um, uh, things like meal breaks and uh, even more complicated things like failing to make certain contributions to health plans and retirement plans. Tom, what am I missing there? I mean, the thing you see a lot is in the final paycheck, illegally withholding um, the final paycheck because of some alleged misdeed the employee may have done, such as damaging company equipment or something like that, which is illegal typically, or doing an offset on the final paycheck and saying, ah, well, you owe this money for that. Or, you know, we think we sh- you, you borrowed some company tool or asset, so therefore you have to re- fail to return it. So we're going to charge you for that by taking from your final paycheck, which is generally, as Sam alluded to, illegal. You're supposed to be paid at least for every hour you worked that final week. And, you know, if there's an outstanding balance, that's a separate legal matter. I th- this is actually really interesting to me because I think I, I I'm sorry to interrupt you Sam but I think I have a, a maybe a leading question the, uh, the first of all I just hadn't considered that wage theft involves all compensation for all employee activity not just time dollars for time uh, but also I- I'm curious whose job it is to maintain and pay out against those records. Because when I look at the sort of complex organism of human systems uh, that we have created here, there are a lot of people involved in compensating a single employee, right? Like, who's doing this? I mean, typically, it's the responsibility of HR, or it could be an operations manager, according to the Fair Labor Standards Act, and typically state law, to record accurately every time for every hour somebody works. You know, if somebody's a non-exempt employee, they get paid by the hour. Mm-hmm. And there's supposed to be a record to show how many hours a day that person worked, how many hours a week that person worked. Are they entitled, therefore, to overtime or not? And it's really the employer's, typically HR's responsibility 
to track that time. And maybe there's a payroll person separate from within the HR world who must pay out all that money. That's what that's where I was going with it, that it was some sort of payroll, you know, person who's charged with all that stuff, Sam. And I think to Pete and Tom's point, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's a big chain. There's a large, large chain of people involved in doing this. And there's a lot of uh, weak links in that chain where these mistakes can happen. Waste theft is not necessarily an employer going into your paycheck and just stealing from their employees or driving away at the end of the workday and not cutting anyone a check. That does happen. It's extremely rare. But the, the real damages we see often come in the form of mistakes, especially in Massachusetts. Um, where you see, you know, it does not matter intent, you know, they, the, the, the wage statute does not care about your intent, or does not care that you made a mistake or not. It's a, a strict liability state, as are many others. Okay, so we're talking about this for a reason. What is that reason today? The reason we're talking about today is there's legislation filed in Massachusetts, um, and it's filed in several other states. So it's not just the Massachusetts issue that um, it's a bill. It's to combat wage theft. Um, you know, something AIM is worried about, and we want to make sure, uh, you know, we don't support stealing from their employees, and most AIM employers do not cheat at all on, on wage theft. But what this bill does. <laughs> I'm glad that's on the record, Sam. I'm yeah, glad yeah, we got it. We I, said I it, it out loud. Time, I say it every time we're in the legislature. <laughs> I'm not worried about. <laughs> no <laughs> mustaches that are worth twirling here. We are not in favor of wage theft. Okay. Right, right. We are very much so not. And in fact, uh, AIM has long lobbied for extra money and extra resources to the Attorney General's office to enforce wage theft because. You know, when our our members, um, you know, are at a disadvantage when they're competing for bids against people that do cheat, people that do rip off their employer. So, you know, in the current scheme, there there are strict penalties and there are strict enforcement. What this bill does is push the envelope a little further than anything we're comfortable with. And I think we'll sweep in a lot of employers that make mistakes and, um, you know, a lot of employees, contractors make mistakes. So basically what this bill does is it extends uh, what's called vicarious liability up and down the contracting chain. So remember, in Massachusetts, you have strict liability, doesn't matter if it was your mistake or not, and you have trouble damages. So for every dollar you made a mistake on or every dollar that's missing from an employee, you owe three of those dollars back, plus interest, plus attorney's fees. So this, you know, that's what's currently on the books. What this bill does is it takes all those penalties and all those intent rules and applies that to everywhere up and down the contracting chain. So if you're a university and you um, contract out your cleaning services and they make one of these wage theft issues, you're on the hook for it for triple damages, regardless if they made a mistake or you made a mistake. Wow. How do we get there? That seems like a a legal weapon of mass destruction. Tom, what, what gets us to that point? Well, years ago, Sam, I think, what, around 2009 or 10? The legislature adopted this triple damages rule as, as a mandatory penalty. And so, you know, in, in some cases where there's a bad employer, I think everyone would agree that that's a reasonable remedy, you know, but sure. it takes some effort to get there. But what Sam's highlighting is the fact that this has now become a penalty normal, the normal penalty, so that if there's any infraction, automatically you're hit with this hammer of triple damages. And so that's part of what the problem is. The legislature adopted this standard without doing any qualifications as to when where it's appropriate you know, maybe there was a you know good faith mistake and there should be an exception carved into the law nothing like that exists and so you know it's going to be an arbitrary penalty it's going to be broadened continuously and there's been a tremendous effort within the bar to develop cultivate a group of attorneys who practice in this field and so there's a whole bunch of employees who've been believe they've been wrong so there's a lot of cases that get brought 
against employers, rightly or wrongly, that, you know, force this situation to come to a head and force more and more employers to have to think defensively about what this situation is. And I think unnecessarily so, because they've been practicing good practices for years and maybe someone made a simple mistake. And next thing you know, they're whacked with this potentially huge penalty. Uh, The fact that there are sort of reasonable damages for bad faith employers is is fine. Like that point, notwithstanding how we got to the to the place where we are applying that standard up and down the contracting chain is the is the area of of sort of immediate concern that I have. Were there particular cases that pushed this, you know, into the legislation? Yeah, there. It's a very. It basically you're using a sledgehammer when you need a scalpel. There is a very mm-hmm. narrow subset of cases, particularly in the construction industry, where someone does, where someone is a bad actor, and they, um, you know, and they, and their contractor knowingly hires them, knowing they're a bad actor. Let's say you need um, uh, drywall getting, you know, you need drywall done, mm-hmm. and there's five bids, and they're all for fifty thousand dollars, and the last one comes in at twenty five thousand dollars. There's no possible way that the contractor no there's no there's no possible way a subcontractor could do it that cheap without cutting some corners and so what this bill seeks to address is um you know a prevailing contracting problem in which you know fly by night employers will engage in you know pretty substandard labor practices including wage theft and probably a few others as well and so and then those companies whenever they get caught doing something will dissolve they will you know it it would be uh Tom and Larson construction. And, you know, I get caught doing wage theft. We dissolve, we disappear, file. And then three months later, we're back as uh, uh, Larson and Tom construction. You know, you, it's, it's very simple mm-hmm. to, to reincorporate and kind of play this whack-a-mole game with employers. And it is a problem and there are ways to address it. What this bill does, or at least suggests to do, is that is now everybody's problem, regardless of your industry regardless of how you contract things out, um, you know, regardless of how you basically set up your entire business practice, everybody else's problem is now your problem because there's a belief that you should know exactly what all of your employers or uh, all of your contractors are doing. The other dilemma we see a lot, even outside the construction industry, is that not everyone was willing to report their wages in a timely fashion, employees. So they'll, employ, they'll report them late, which means the employer may report them late or inaccurate and miss some overtime or miss some other payment. And as a result, they're in violation of the law because they didn't pay the proper wage within the proper time frame. No, no intent was there. There was no malicious effort on anyone's part. But because either employees delayed reporting their time or there was mismanagement or miscommunication, companies are now in violation of the law and they could theoretically get hit with a penalty a lawsuit and the trouble damages penalty. You mentioned earlier that this is that this is broader than just a Massachusetts issue. How jurisdictional is this? Is it is it something just throughout the Northeast? Is it something that other other states are dealing with too? So New York City is the only other place in the United States of America that has adopted this on the books and that's limited to just the construction industry. But uh there's bills filed to extend this kind of uh you know massive liability change in and most states in the northeast. You know, our, our, just about all of our neighboring states have bills attempting to do that and you know our contemporaries in other states are as equally as worried about it as we are. I think the other place you see it is in um the immigrant community where people who were came in or were working in the undocumented community are 
at the municipal level, especially in states near the border, are being um, you know trafficked, as it were, into jobs where they're not being paid their full wage. A state may not take a position on it, but a city or a county may take a position against wage theft, you know, to try and prevent that exploitation of those workers. But it's it's certainly broadened to well beyond what Sam's talking about in the general economy. What What is it important for us to know as HR professionals about wage law so that we can better understand and have a position on this particular, uh, on the issue of wage theft and this legislation coming down to us? Know your record-keeping rules. Essential. And you have, the FLSA has specific record-keeping rules, but other states may have certain rules as well, extra quirks about you know, compliance that you've got to know, you know, timetables for reporting. Or for example, California has a rule about overtime after eight hours per day. That's different than the standard 40 hours per week. So it's know what your local laws are and make sure that you comply with them. Well, if this bill passes, um, start auditing everyone you hire to do anything. <laughs> um, I would, I, I would, I would say that I would, you know, it goes way beyond keeping your own house in order. You have to start keeping uh, the house of others in order as well. But for now, I would I, I would just follow Tom's advice. What do you have an anticipated sort of burden that we're telling members that like if this legislation passes, this is like you, you speak of audit everybody who does everything. What do we have to look forward to as employers? Right. That this seems like it might be a, a burden to operations to a, apply this sort of standard. I would say a burden is an understatement. I would say it's a it's a not only is it a burden to operate without fear of liability, you're all, you're going to get sued at some point, especially if you're a larger employer. Um, you know, generally, the it's general standard practice to go after the biggest pocket in, in any of these lawsuits. And because you can go all the way up and all the way down the chain, um, people are going to pick the deepest pocket and they're going to be establishment companies and they're going to be, you know, large employers. So some of these cases are probably end up piercing the corporate veil, what they call corporate the veil. That, you know, some corporations are set up as a way to protect the CEOs. But if you can demonstrate some sort of lack of knowledge or poor bad faith, then that corporate veil could potentially get pierced in some case, and the corporate officers could themselves be exposed to liability. I think a critical disconnect here is that there's a belief that somehow contracting out labor services is somehow nefarious, when in actuality, many companies, many employers simply just don't want to do it or don't want to specialize it in themselves. Uh, I'll go back to the university example in a cleaning service does, um, you know, whatever major research university, do they want to keep up best practices with how to wax floors and pay someone in-house to know all of the environmental standards on how to shine, you know, shine their floors or keep everything clean? No, they don't. They want to have somebody else do that for them, which is why they contract it out. It's not a way around wage, wage laws or unions or anything. It's just a simple matter of efficiency. And I think that's often lost in the discussion around wage stuff. What what's your assessment of likelihood of this legislation uh, passing? That's a great question. If I do my job well, uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, but if, <laughs> but if we get unlucky and there's some there's significant pressure, particularly from the unions, particularly from the public sector unions, and they have a lot of money and a lot of influence, it may pass. They've threatened to put it on the ballot, and if it does, I, I you know I think that's a very scary proposition. Proposition if it comes out of the legislature and makes it to the ballot. Um, but if as long as it remains in the legislature, I think we probably have a 60-40 chance of winning there. Okay, so the question for me and Tom is, what's the over-under on Sam doing his job well? <laughs> exactly. No, it's a huge challenge because there's a whole bar out there, a whole group of attorneys 
who are very keen on doing this because it's become a huge practice area. You know, as other areas may have dried up over the years because of regulatory changes or reforms in the law. You think of something like workers' compensation or something like that that are not as lucrative as they once were. These cases are, of course, highly lucrative. You know, trouble damages plus attorney's fees is not a bad. You find 10 employees who you believe were wrong. Each case is worth two or $3,000 plus attorney's fees associated with it. That's a lot of money. You, uh, I, before we sort of get to the point where we're wrapping up a little bit here, you, I see you also want to talk a little bit about the proposal to increase the minimum wage. How does this relate to our ongoing conversation about wage theft? Sure. I mean, the higher the wages, uh, the higher the damages, <laughs> the higher the risk for employers. Um, you know, it, you know, it all adds up very, like Tom said, it all adds up very quickly. And the higher you're pushing up low wage workers, the higher you're pushing up medium wage workers, the higher you're pushing up high wage workers. Um, that's all going to have a, uh, you know, compounding effect on each other. And those are just going to be more damages at the end of the day. Tom, you have thoughts on the minimum wage bit? Um, not so much on the minimum wage, but one other thing on the other law is that it's very black and white. One day out of compliance, you're wrong. So, for example, Sam works for me and I fail to pay him the final, you know, on the proper payday, pay him a day late for whatever reason, it's a holiday or something like that. I'm out of compliance. The law is black and white that he can now sue me for triple damages. So, you know, the, the law is very unforgiving in terms of simple mistakes that might be without malicious intent. But then, as Sam just alluded to, the more you raise the threshold, the more the consequences are going to be for an employer. I, I, Tom, I'd like to talk a bit about that, that final day ruling and uh you know how 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 strict the, the the recent supreme court ruling has been in massachusetts if, if you will a little bit um there's a case called reuter v city of methuen and uh, basically the ruling was that if you are a day late on a dismissed employee you know this is someone fired for cause if you're a day late on cashing out any of their benefits uh it's automatic treble damages regardless of it's the fault of your payroll company or regardless of the fault of anybody else. And you owe them all that money right up front on the day you let them go. Now think about someone you're firing for cause. Often it's not a pleasant exchange. Often it's not someone who's happy to go out the door. And it's usually not someone who's going to work with you while you get your act together to let them out the door. And sometimes more often than not, it's something that happened quickly and uh, something an employer has has to respond to. It's rarely something you plan. Absolutely true. You're not ready for it. I mean, until companies scramble and they don't have a payroll check handy, they don't have a payroll check department handy. If they have an outside payroll service, they're going to be calling them up. It's after three o'clock and they say, well, we get your check tomorrow. Well, check tomorrow puts you out of compliance with the law. So what were the terms of this particular case? You can't make this story. You can't make this stuff up. The plaintiff in this case was a city employee from the city of Union, uh, through the city of Methuen, who got caught stealing from her own public sector union, and then had the temerity to turn around and sue the city for firing her for giving her vacation days two weeks late. And she won. She took it all the way to the state supreme court. <laughs> won. Wow. And the, and the court said black and white law. City violated the law. Didn't pay it. They, I think they paid three weeks late. So they were, they did pay late. There's no question about that. Well, this is that, that actually brings up the, I guess, this specific point, which is black and white law means it is completely separate. The, the company's infraction is completely separate from her infraction as an employee. Absolutely. 
Are, and were there any other repercussions for her for actually stealing from the besides being fired? I mean, I assume there were some other. Was she convicted of larceny? I'm not sure. I never. I only followed the civil case. I never caught up on the on the criminal <laughs> side. <laughs> of the I mean, matter. Criminal side. <laughs> Minor yeah. criminal conviction, but I don't yeah. recall there being any prison time. That is a, a fascinating thing. I think again, from the HR perspective, like to be aware of that these things are separate and unequal and are processed as such. That that's incredible. Most com- most states would want to welcome people to make sure they got paid on time. No one wants to see workers get their wages, you know, denied or delayed. So that's one thing. That, but that's different than putting this hammer in place to say that employers are going to be punished for failing to do so on a, you know, a day late or some simple error, administrative error. And I'd like, if it's okay, to just talk about what we're doing on government affairs at AIM about this specific case in a way way to try and try and address this problem. Absolutely, Sam. Yeah. We filed a very simple bill. Um, you know, we're not asking for the world here. All it is is it says if you you know you've laid someone off, they come to you saying they're you know they're missing something. They're missing their vacation days. They're missing a piece of their executive compensation. They're missing a little bit of a bonus that they thought they they're owed. I, the employer, I just got 15 days to make it right. And that is like, that's all we're asking for. It's, you know, it's a good faith mistake. It's a simple error. And all all we're asking is for two weeks to make it right and pay the employee everything they've asked for. And that, you know, and during that two week time, this treble damages pauses, this attorney's fees pauses. And so all we're doing is asking for an opportunity to return the proper money to the employee in a timely manner. That doesn't do anything about like we, we come back to the bad actors, right? The companies that the few companies that actually are trying to rip their employees off in some way, shape or form. There are already re- resources for that. Totally. The attorney general's office has a whole division devoted to fighting that. This is just, you know, your classic AIM member. Um, you know, you're a mid-sized manufacturer. You just you, see, you have a nice person who runs your payroll department. They're not necessarily the savviest person. They make a mistake on somebody's way out the door. That person who's fired comes back to them, asks for, you know, whatever it is, my three vacation days, my two sick days. And, uh, you know, you get two weeks to pay them back. Makes total. That makes total sense. And it gets back to that question, like, why? Wh- what are we doing? How did this become potential legislation when it feels like we have rules to account for actual wage theft elsewhere? Uh, I, it, it is a little bit mind blowing. But I I feel like you guys have made a good case for where the panic lies for those who are nervous about it. Where can we send people to learn more about this? Sam, I'll start with you. You're doing the active work. Where can people learn more about your work in in moving this legislation along? You can go to the AIM website where there's a summary of it. You can email me for further details, and I'm happy to correspond with you. slarson at aimnet.org. That's slarson at aimnet.org. Please just reach out to me and I'll tell you all about it. Tom, do we have resources at AIMHR that we need to be uh, sending people? Um, well, certainly for AIM members, you could call the hotline in Massachusetts, the 1-800-470-6277 number. For um, anyone interested as well, you could contact me. You could do tjones at aimnet.org, A-I-M-N-E-T dot O-R-G. And I'd consult with Sam and say, well, you know, we got an email on this. What do you think? Because it could be members who operate both in Massachusetts and another jurisdiction learning about this and want to know more about what's going on. Could be, you know, someone in Massachusetts who was unaware of this. But we're happy to talk to anyone about 
issues like this to make sure that, A, there's education and awareness, but also that they're aware of the consequences of a law like, potential law like this. And I think this is where AIM really shows its value and uh, between the Government Affairs Division and the HR Division. Tom comes to us with a problem that came from a member. We come up with a bill to try and solve it, file it the legislature. And that's, you know, I think that's what we really bring to the table. Sam, do you have a sense on when, from where we are right now, when we should expect next action on this bill? We'll have a hearing in a few weeks, um, and we'll see how it goes from there. I, you know, we have we have two great sponsors uh, in the House and the Senate who are who really get this issue, uh, both of who are, are attorneys and you know passionate and understand how much of a burden this is, and uh, we're we're really going to fight for it. So we'll we'll take it from there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we should come back and and report again when we hear some more about this particular wage theft legislation. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to the show. We put if you swipe up in your show notes, I've got some links to uh, some more resources there from U.S. Department of Labor, uh, wage and hour laws uh, for the state of Massachusetts. We've got some uh, resources at amhrsolutions.com. Just swipe up again. You'll see all of those links. They will uh, hopefully serve your uh, ability to educate yourselves. Thank you so much, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. This episode marks the very end of season three of Human Solutions. We are so grateful for you all for continuing to support the show, download and listen to the show. For the summer, we're taking a little bit of time off. We're going to be rolling a few of our favorite episodes from the catalog uh, in here uh, for the next Oh, I'd say a couple months. We will be getting back into the saddle and recording our next season. That's season four for release in the fall. On behalf of Tom Jones and Sam Larson, I'm Pete Wright. And we'll see you next season right here on Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR.